pray. Holy God, Almighty Father, we thank you that you have given us the Lamb of God. Wash us clean by your word and by his blood. Strengthen us in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Being God's church for a time such as this calls us to all be strengthened in our faith. You know, last week talked about, I have decided to follow Jesus. No holding back, no holding back. And really, to be built up, to grow in our faith, so that we could say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No holding back, no holding back. You see, the questions that we've been dealing with are really these two. How do we strengthen our faith? How do we grow alive, deep, and even bold in our faith? And then over time, how do we keep the, the flame of our faith burning brightly? Because it's really easy to get into a rut in our faith. So how do we keep it burning brightly? And so we began this series with be focusing on Christ Jesus, the solid rock, and on him we stand. And then it is through the gospel that he has called us out, and he has called us out from life, from death to life. And it is the gospel, and the gospel alone that has called us, and called each one of you here this morning. And so once you and I are born again, in faith, we need to grow in that faith. We need to grow into spiritual maturity. And just as a child, as they grow into physical maturity, they need more than just milk to be able to grow into maturity. They need solid food. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, need more than just milk. We need solid food to grow into that maturity. And what is the solid food we've talked about? It is the Word of God. Not watered down, not a chicken soup for the soul theology, but a, the, the full Word of God. We talked about how it takes the full Word of God to make a whole Christian. The whole Bible for a whole Christian. We also saw that fellowship is essential to the Christian life. It's just not something you can say, you know, take it or leave it. No, fellowship is essential. And fellowship, first and foremost, comes with who? God. Fellowship, first and foremost, comes from God Himself. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in whom we must have fellowship. And I believe that we are weak in our fellowship, first and foremost with God, because we have a fuzzy idea of God. You know, we think of God the Father, and then there's God the Son, but man, if you talk about God the Holy Spirit, it's like, I don't know what, you know, right? Pretty fuzzy. But did you know, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't even be born again? You wouldn't even have faith in Christ Jesus. And without the power of the Holy Spirit leading you on, you wouldn't be doing any works of ministry. So you and I need to have that 
fullness of fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, you would think that would be enough, right? Christ is solid rock, the Word of God, fellowship with God, and then fellowship with one another. But God says, there are more things for you that are essential for you to be my church in a time such as this. And so we're going to go back to that one verse in act because we are just working on that one verse. And it is this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and prayers. So this morning, it is the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Now, at a casual glance, the breaking of bread sounds like they're just having a meal together, right? Because we talk about that, don't we? Breaking bread. And so we eat together. But is that all they... (laughs) Were they devoted to eating meals together? I mean, that's kind of the question, isn't it? Like they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and they loved to eat. I I think there's a little bit more going on there, right? Okay, I can tell I'm stretching this a little too hard. It's more. It is, in a literal sense, the breaking of the bread. And this word, the, as we talked about, is important. Talked about uh, Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the God of the living It talks about the uniqueness of who Christ is, and in a similar way, the breaking of that bread would refer to what we know as the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper instituted on the night before Jesus was betrayed. So here's a question. Were they just going through the motions? Was it just a ritual, a tradition that they were doing, in the breaking of the bread or the Lord's Supper? Or was it more than that? Because quite frankly, the Lord's Supper can become very rote, right? Just a ritual. You know, you're just like waiting for somebody, okay, next row, stand up, go, and you do that, right? We're all guilty of that. I'm not going to show a ha- do a show of hands here. But we can all get into the rut of it or the ritual of it and becomes empty or meaningless. I've even had people wanting to start conversations with me while I am giving them the Eucharist, the bread, right? And it's like, no, there's something more that's supposed to be going on here. So what is the Lord's Supper? Well, you have to understand, the Lord's Supper is the fulfillment of the promise that God made 1,400 years earlier when he instituted Passover. So recall, if you will, that God sent the plagues upon the Egyptians because they would not let his people, the Israelites, go. And the last plague was that death would come to every firstborn in the house unless what? What was to be on the doorpost? The blood of the lamb, right? The blood of the Lamb. And if the blood of the Lamb was on the doorpost, death would pass over that home. 
And what's really important to note here, God did not look inside the house to see if they were worthy or sinless, but only that they were covered by the blood of the Lamb. And the Lamb that was to be sacrificed was to be pure, without blemish, and was to be then eaten during the Passover meal. So important was the Passover that God declared this, Exodus chapter 12, this day, Passover, this day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Passover was really about salvation from death unto life. So how does that connect with the Lord's Supper? Well, let's just go to Scripture here. Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So in this particular Passover, we find that Jesus is truly the Lamb of God. And it is his blood that is spilled. And it is because when you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, God's wrath against your sin passes over you. That you do not die, but have the promise of eternal life. And here is what's so important. When you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, God does not look at you to see if you are sinless, because you're not, neither am I. He doesn't look at you to see if you are worthy, because you are not, and neither am I. He passes over you for the sake of Jesus Christ, His Son. And you are now no longer under the condemnation of death, but have the promise of eternal life. That's what they were devoted to. Because in the Lord's Supper, there is forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin. Not just a remembrance about the forgiveness of sin, but actual forgiveness of sin. And thus, it was not a rite or a ritual or just a tradition that they were devoted to. They saw the purpose that it was truly forgiveness of sin. In Luther's small catechism, he summarizes the purpose of the Lord's Supper uh, by this question. He says, what is the benefit of such eating and drinking? As follows. That is shown by us these words given and shed for you for the remission of sins. Namely, that in the sacrament, of, in the sacrament forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sin, there's also life and salvation. That's the Lord's Supper. So how does it impart such forgiveness of sin? Because the bread is bread and wine is wine, right? How does it impart that to us? It is because it is the Word of God, what the Word of God declares. This is my body. He does not say this is uh, symbolic of my body. He says, this is my body. 
This is my blood given, and here's important words you all must hear, for you. For you is the forgiveness of sin. This is what the Lord's Supper is. And when there is forgiveness of sin, we call that grace, don't we? So in the Lord's Supper, we say it is a means by which we receive God's grace, a means of grace. And I want you to listen carefully to this. Luther, in the large catechism, says this, Therefore, it is appropriately called food of the soul, for it nourishes and strengthens the new creature. So when you come up, when you receive the Lord's Supper, you are strengthened in your soul, not just receiving some bread and some wine. It is the nourishment for you who are born again in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is the Lord's Supper, and that's what they were devoted to. It wasn't just this mere thing, which it's really easy to do. If you've gone to church all of your life, and you receive communion all of your life, it's easy for it just to become this thing that you do. But it is a sacrament, it is a means of grace, and it is a divine fellowship. From Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says this, The cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. So notice that the word participation is used twice. It's used in reference to his blood and his body. Now, here's where you got to do a little bit of digging. This word participation can be translated as communion. In another way, it can be translated, and very appropriately so, as fellowship. You see, in the Lord's Supper, we have fellowship, first and foremost, with Christ Jesus. Through his body and his blood, to the glory of and power, majesty, and might of God the Father. And because you, listen, because you and I have fellowship with Him, we then are one body. We have fellowship, communion with each other. This is what they are devoted, they were devoted to. This is what we are to be devoted to as well. So they were devoted to the breaking of the bread. And they were devoted to prayers. Now, by the way, just as the breaking of the bread, we have the prayers as well. So that would seem to indicate that it could have been some temple prayers. We don't know what they would have been, but uh, there's speculation. But they would have been maybe formal temple prayers. But is that all that they were doing at this time? in just having somebody recite some prayers. And I think if you take a look at what was going on, it's more than that. Remember, this was after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had come, and thousands of thousands had 
come to faith in Christ Jesus. So I think it uh, is good for us to take a moment and say, well, what do we mean by this word prayer? I mean, we use it all the time, right? So, prayer, and I said this in the beginning during our time of prayer, is first and foremost a part and type of worship. See, don't we somehow separate prayer from worship? As a matter of fact, a lot of people say, well, there's the sermon, there's the prayers, and when we sing, that's worship. No, it's all, it's all worship here today. It's all worship and praise. And so, first and foremost, I would like you to think of prayer as a type of worship. Because that's really what it is. And you really are acknowledging, first and foremost in your worship, that who God is, that He is above all things. You know, and what we do here is we pray to our great and awesome God who is worthy of praise and worship. Listen again to how we began our call to worship. First Chronicles, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Nehemiah began his prayer this way. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Hezekiah's prayer. He prayed, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And by the way, even wonderful songs start off with acknowledging the majesty of God. We sang God of Wonders, right? Very appropriate song for this morning. And another one that I know is a favorite for most of you is How Great Thou Art. Right? Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. It is acknowledging God above all things. Prayer is worship. And you can hear the strength of those prayers. You can hear the strength of those songs, right? I bet you even in singing in your head, how great thou art, how great thou art. I won't ask for a show of hands. But here's the thing. If your prayers seem weak, first come to Him in prayerful worship, acknowledging how great is our God. Because sometimes, I don't know what to pray, how to pray, even, you know, it's just there. And so, just acknowledging how great God is. Prayer is a type of worship. Prayer is calling upon God in every need. See, to understand God, to understand the Christian life, to understand what it means to follow Jesus, is to come to Him in every need. Why? Because we are dependent upon Him for everything. (laughs) We don't live our lives like that, though, do we? You know, we think, all right, do my best, God will do the rest. One pastor put it like this. He said, we tend to think of prayer like a spare tire. We're glad it's there, but we hope we never have to use it. 
And so we try to do things apart from God first, don't we? And then how many prayers are there at the very end? Lord, this isn't working out. Will you please step in? Rather than ask for his blessing and for his guidance in the first place. You see, to be a church, to be those who've been called by God, to those who are called to be his church in a time such as this, we know that we by ourselves are insufficient. I'm going to tell you something that's really not intuitive. The more I grow in my faith, the more I know I am insufficient for the task at hand. The more I grow as a pastor, the more I know I am insufficient for the task at hand. And so, thus, everything has to come from Him. You know, we talked about devotions the other day. I try to get here when it's a little quieter. Sometimes I don't succeed. But right there, that's my place where I kneel before the cross and I have my devotions to pray because we know by ourselves we are insufficient. You know, it's interesting, the disciples, we don't find too much about the disciples praying while Jesus was around. Now, they asked him how to pray, but we don't really have anything about them praying before he ascended. (laughs) But boy, did they pray once he ascended, right? They were on their knees in prayer. It really kicked in. Acts chapter 1. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And Paul wrote about prayer. Uh, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Continuing steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And here's where it comes to the point where you grow in maturity, spiritual maturity in your prayer. You trust God in all things. Period. You know, it it becomes so simple in a way, and it's trust and obey. I know we've got that song, trust and obey, and there is no other way. And that's what we do in prayer. The disciples trusted God not only to hear, but answer their prayers just as Jesus told them. So what did he tell them? Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Trust and obey. Now, I want to talk about a man who epitomized that, to trust the Lord in prayer for everything. 
His name is George Mueller. Anybody heard of George Mueller? One, couple? Okay. George Mueller. Uh, so he lived in the 1800s, and he started, he, he was a pastor. He started an orphanage in 1834. Now, conditions for children were her, in England during that time were horrific, and many children under eight years and under were in debtor's prisons. So the conditions were horrific, and he decided to start an orphanage, and he did so through prayer. Now, there's a famous story about him. I'm going to read it for you. One morning, the house mother of the orphanage informed Mueller that the children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door. Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheels were fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans. It was just enough for 300 thirsty children. There's story after story after story about George Mueller relying on the Lord in everything through prayer. He built five orphanages, and by the end of his life, he had taken care of over 10,000 orphans during that time. And he never took a salary in 68 years of ministry, but he trusted God to put in people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan or went in debt, and neither he nor the orphans were ever hungry. This is a man who trusted the Lord in everything because he knew he served a great and awesome, loving, caring God. Look, there's a lot more that we could cover regarding prayer. In fact, during our Lenten series, we're going to do a five-part series on the Lord's Prayer. That'll be on Wednesday nights. But before we end this today, I need to at least touch upon a couple things. Because there's a large sticking point for people. For example, if I asked for a show of hands and said, who is a good prayer? Who prays well? I don't know if many hands would ever raise. Maybe a couple but most say, mm, I'm not good at that. And especially if I asked you to come up here and pray, like, oh no, I'd rather be in the coffin. Give me a eulogy instead. So why, why do people shy away from prayer? I think one of the reasons is you think you need to have fancy words. Right? You, you don't have all the proper words that a pastor or somebody else will use. 
And sometimes, sometimes the prayers are so flowery, it's like you need a dictionary to discern what they actually said. But you know what? God doesn't care if you have fancy words or not. He asks you to pray, to be in fellowship with him. And that we've talked about that. That's one of the ways to be in fellowship with him is to pray. So sometimes you're going to have words and that they will come out. And other times you'll be like me, on my knees saying, I don't even know what to say. My brain is so scattered right now. Lord, how about if I just sit and quiet with you for a moment? Clear my brain so I can pray as I need to pray. That's praying for the Holy Spirit to work in you. So some people shy away from that. But I want to give you this from John Moreland. Prayer is not an artful monologue, a voice lifted up from the sod. It's love's tender dialogue between the soul and God. So when you have devotion to his word, pray. Have be a time of worship. I also want to address one other thing here. Some people think that you are not holy enough for God to hear your prayers, right? You're not good enough. And throughout being a pastor, people say, Pastor, you got the direct line to God. I don't. It's like, no, 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 no. Look, I'm a sinner saved by grace just like everybody else. You're a sinner saved by grace just like everybody else. And because you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, right? Through faith in Christ Jesus, God hears your prayers. You don't have to hold back. You can come to him directly. And see, actually, in in the Reformation, that was a big thing. That you mean, I don't have to go to the priest or even a pastor to pray. I, I can just pray to God. Yes, because God wants that fellowship with you. Jesus came not for the holy. He came for the sinful. He came not for the well. He came for the sick. And so we are to come to him. Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will have fellowship with God through prayer. Come to him in every need. So let's go back to the questions we began with. How do we strengthen our faith? Put another way, how, what keeps our flame of faith burning brightly? And so we've seen it is the rock of Christ, right? Upon him we stand. It is the word of God. It is fellowship. It is the Lord's Supper, the means of grace, and it is prayer. And there's so much more. We are going to come back to prayer at some other time. But it is prayer. When you keep these things alive, when you devote yourself to them, not just going through a rope motion, not just a tradition, not just because it's Sunday, 
but you devote yourself to them. Become alive in Christ Jesus. You grow in your faith. You grow in your fellowship with God in a way that will surprise you. So this month, (laughs) I normally say this week, don't I? This month, here's what I want you to do. For the next four Sundays, I don't know if anybody's actually even read the part on the sermon notes, how to prepare for the Lord's Supper. So as you're waiting in line, right, and you're, you know, you can even bring it up with you if you didn't have time. But think about what you're actually receiving in the Lord's Supper. Do that for the next month. And then develop a practice of praying. And when I say practice, it is practice. Look, when I, when I first started, you know, growing in my faith, I was working in corporate America, people would know me as a person of faith, and they say, would you pray with me? And I was like, I don't know, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I mumbled and I stumbled, but as soon it becomes a practice of prayer. So think about prayer first and foremost as worship. I think that'll make it easier for you. And then you'll have that fellowship with how awesome our God is. And don't worry about stumbling, mumbling, not having the right words. God does not care how fancy your words are. He cares for your heart, for your devotion unto him. And all the people said, Amen.